in the cavalry if they send me up to war. Well, I want a good steed under me like my forefathers before. I want a good mount when the bugle sounds and I hear the cannons roar. Well, I want to be in the cavalry if they send me up to war. Good morning and welcome to episode 334 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Uh, we do have actual news to discuss today. We are going to get into the, the Kinsler Fielder trade. Uh, we also had an interview scheduled with Drew Samuelson uh, from Baseball South Australia. He's also an international scout for the Rays to talk about the team that won the Asia series uh, earlier today. And you may not know any of what that means. I didn't a day ago, but Drew will explain it. Uh, so first we will talk about the trade, and then we will bring you that interview. You are writing right now about this trade, and we're taking a break so that we can talk about this trade. Uh, and this came together very, very quickly. This is one of those times when you hear that a team is discussing something almost at the same time that you hear that those discussions led to a trade. There was no real, no real rumor-mongering period, uh, which is nice. I appreciate when the news doesn't really happen before before the actual trade. And it's not that the news didn't come out. It's that this wasn't a thing until yesterday, which is kind of surprising that that something this major could happen that fast. Kind of, although it's such an obvious trade that it's almost like you've been watching this movie for like an hour and a half where like the girl is chasing some guy and then like with you know 12 minutes left she realizes that her best friend was actually the guy for her the whole time <laughs> and it's so obvious that we all saw it from the I mean we didn't see it but I mean it's so obvious that we should have seen it from from the first minute and then as soon as they they realize that they're meant to be <laughs> there's really no point drawing it out they just go go kissing. <laughs> so the yeah, the nice thing about it is that it sort of resolves uh, situations that we've been speculating about for it feels like I don't know two years now. Um, the Rangers sort of uh, surplus in the middle infield, and how are they going to play Jurickson Profar and Ian Kinsler and Elvis Andrus all on the same team? And what trade are they going to make to to free up a position for one of these guys? And then. The Tigers with, oh, they're going to get old and they're going to have too many DHs to fit on one team and they're just going to have all of these albatross contracts with players getting old and unproductive at the same time. And now, uh, I don't know, the, the decks are kind of cleared. We know we know what the resolution to those situations is finally. Jerks and Profar can, can start at second base and the Tigers can move Miguel Cabrera back to first base and have something resembling an actual defense again. And we can all stop, stop wondering how they're, how they're going to fix these, these quandaries. Yeah. Like the end of my best friend's wedding. Right. So, uh, what is, what is your take on this trade? I've actually, I'm sort of surprised by how much disagreement there is. Have, it seems just sort of surveying, people's reactions on Twitter or on the internet. It seems like people are sort of divided or at least there's no real 
consensus yet on who won? Is that your sense? That's been sort of my sense. That, that hasn't been my sense. My sense has, has largely been that everybody has um, sort of feels like both sides um, win simply by resolving roster spots, that both sides were kind of getting, uh, they were all running on sort of 80% efficiency right. now. So even if, even if there's a little bit um, lost in the transaction one way or the other, uh, they both had a lot of. Um, they both had a lot that they could kind of lose without actually losing. They they both have, you know, kind of big gains that are intrinsic in this deal. Even before you start talking about the players, so I haven't gotten a sense that there's a lot of country. I see a couple of people who are uh, going on about it, but not really. Um, what what is the well, opposition that that you're seeing? It seems like uh, the idea that uh, that. Basically, the the Rangers could have spent the money more efficiently somehow. That they could have used the extra money that they're now going to be paying Prince Fielder to, I, I don't know, sign some other younger f- person or do something more with that money. I don't I don't really feel that way. But that's been the money. Yeah, money is hard to spend. Yeah, it is. And and this does kind of come down to money because it, it it fixes both teams problems in a way it, it seems to sort of as you said I, I don't know whether it makes them both better but it makes them both more efficient at allocating resources I guess you could say um, so the question then is I don't know like how how worried you are about the fact that the Rangers now have to pay Prince Fielder several years from now um, yeah, so it works out to like seven years and 135 million or yeah, something. Yeah, 38. Right? Yeah, something like that. That seems like he'd get that if he were a free agent right now. I think so. That's that's pretty reasonable. That's that's under 20 million per year. Uh, yeah. That. I don't. I mean, we might we might we might complain about it a little bit if he did, but I. I imagine he'd get that if he were a free agent right now. He's still young. He's still he's still pretty young. He's yeah. 29, mm-hmm. and you know I don't know. I mean everybody talks about his his fatness, which <laughs> right. um, he is fat. It's true, and I don't know if that's. I mean I don't know. Uh, that's sort of a that's kind of like I don't know like snow in a football game where it's kind of unpredictable. It's not automatic that it's going to hurt you, but it's it's unpredictable. He's got a he's got a fatness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I don't know. I mean, I would think that the fatness would um, be more troublesome in the like, like I would think it would keep him off the field more than it would make him a bad player, mm-hmm. um, or it would make him you know unplayable at first base. Um, and you know, he's been on the field like the last two years haven't been troubling in that sense for him. I mean, I don't think the decline in the you can't what are you laughing at you can't be on the field more than. Prince Fielder has been. I mean, he's he's played 162 games for three straight years, and the year before that. Oh, see, I thought now I thought that was a I thought that was a yo mama so fat joke. Right? No, like he covers more <laughs> of the field. No, I wasn't going for that. I was he. I mean, he's missed one game in the last five seasons. So yeah. So then he the has durability. he did right. He he did. You know, he had a down season this year. He had a down season for two reasons. Right. One was that he didn't walk as much. And you could maybe make the case that that's intentional if he's trying to be the the run producer in a lineup that really falls off after him. 
um, and you know, with Cabrera ahead of him, you could you might you might claim that that's somewhat intentional. But regardless, walks he didn't walk as much. You wouldn't think that's a fat thing, and he hit fewer home runs per fly ball, um, which again you don't really think of that as a fat thing. Um, that might be a decline thing, right. but not necessarily a fat thing. So I, I think that his fatness is is probably no more of an issue right now than it was. Uh, two years ago, and, and arguably is less of an issue right now than it was two years ago, because uh, we have two more years of data with him, you know, not really showing any particular, particularly specific effects of that. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could, without bringing up his physique, you could say that last year was a concern. And there were, yeah, there were off the field yeah. issues that, you know, like going through a divorce or whatever that people could attribute that to. Um, Mm -hmm. we have no idea how much of that is responsible, of course, but yeah, I, I, I mean, when I, I mean, Kinsler is, is clearly the one who is declining, right? And, and he, and he, what, 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 no, he was, he was a five win player this year. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he did technically have one six win year in his career. So I guess technically he is declining, but he was a he was a five-win player this year. He was five-point-two win player. I mean, you could, you might say, oh well, that's because of his defense. And who, you know, who can really say about defensive metrics over the course of a single season? But he's been, um, you know, he's been a plus. Depending on your metric, he's been a plus forty to a plus sixty defender over the last five years. They've been pretty consistent. Um, and so, I mean, he. There is no reason to think that he is not a very good defender. Um, and you know, his true average I'm looking at right now was 285. His career peak was in 2008 when he was 26, he had 297, mm-hmm. but otherwise 285 fits right in with his, his prime to, uh, from 27 on 279, 289, 285, and then 255 was his down year in 2012 and then mm-hmm. back to 285. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, I, I would say that Kinsler is probably, um, I'm. I would bet more that he's going to decline because right. of his age, his and age. His position. Yes. But but I would not bet. I would not say that he is currently showing more signs of decline by mm. any means. I guess I'm thinking more of 2012, which was a down year, and then he missed a little time last season. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, you're you're right. I mean, still still playing at a very high level. Um, so. Does this make one of these teams better for 2014? Do you think before better than the, better than the other, or better than they were? Uh, well, does it does it make both of them better than they were? Do you think? Yeah, I yeah. think it makes both of them better than they were. So which just uh, just with the person, even if they even if neither one uses any sort of financial flexibility, right? Uh, to to sign anybody else, I just think the players that they have on their rosters are currently better than they were uh, at, at the start of the day. Yeah. Uh, how much does Kinsler's road record concern you? It doesn't. Not at all? No, not at all. Because hmm. he hasn't been, I mean, he's got something, what, his lifetime, he's like 312 on base, 399 slugging away from Texas, mm-hmm. which, I don't know, and he's kind of got like a, sort of an uppercut swing and maybe the the ballpark has helped him disproportionately possibly uh-huh. i don't know yeah, that no, was kind see, of my my first thought um somebody somebody might be able to generate enough data that i would be 
be convinced, but that ain't it. <laughs> that wasn't it. Just my saying that. <laughs> that wasn't conclusive enough. Um, no. Okay. I, I accept that. Uh, okay. So, so what other dominoes does this uh, does this touch? What what falls as a result of this move? Is I would you would you play Fielder at first, or would you DH him and play Moreland at first? Or trade Moreland, or well, you know, Fielder doesn't have much range. I would think that Mitch can cover more land. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I, I, um, I mean, Fielder is the worst. Fielder is the worst. I would, I would say, the worst first baseman currently holding a glove. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, theoretically, he shouldn't be. DHing or he shouldn't be playing first base, um, but I don't know. I don't know if Moreland's playing there on April first. So uh, you know, maybe it's it's easier for them to worry about the DH if they pencil infielder at first and you know move Moreland for something. Or uh, you know, it's 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 hard to say where this goes now. I mean, we don't know whether Castellanos is in in third or left right mm-hmm. now. We don't know if uh, you know. We don't know if. If Peralta is coming back, um, we don't know, you know, if Profar is, um, you know, if there's any feeling that he needs to have insurance behind him or if he's ready to take the job. I mean, there's lots of things that I would guess I would still want to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, my guess would be that the... I don't know. I would. I would. I would. I would like to see Castellanos playing third, and I, I guess I'd like to see the Tigers sign a left fielder. Mm-hmm. Probably. I was getting kind of excited because the Tigers' left fielders have been so bad for like really like 13 years or so, 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sort of hoping that Castellanos would come up and hit and be a, a good left fielder. And now, though, that seems like a slightly inefficient use of him. I, I think I would play him at third as long as I, as long as I had a a hope that he could say that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so maybe they, I mean, if they take the money that they saved from from getting rid of Fielder and put it towards, I don't know, Chu or Granderson or something, uh, that would be, that would make them pretty good. Or they could put the money toward extending Max Scherzer or they could sign a closer, Joe Nathan or someone. Um so they well, they could get they could get another first baseman. <laughs> yeah, they could, move Cabrera they to could, third. They could sign Kendry Morales, Kendrys Morales, uh-huh. maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah. They could put him at DH, possibly. You know what I what I think is interesting about this trade is the same thing that I thought was interesting about the Dodgers trade, and the same thing that I think maybe has ramifications for everybody, and it's that um, there are it, contracts are not really immovable anymore. Like there's so much money that. Like even the deals that we think are terrible when they're signed and that look worse two years later are still pretty easily moved. I mean, the Tigers, yeah, they had to eat some of the the money, but they got a really good player at a at a, at a you know with a good I would say a good contract uh, back for him. And I mean, Fielder, that contract looked horrible the day it was signed, mm-hmm. and he was a he was a one and a half win player this year. Um, so if you can move Fielder for value right now, it's almost like if you're a team that is worried about signing a long-term deal, you should just sign everybody and then trade them after two years. 
Yeah, I, I guess it's uh, I don't all of these all of these deals now make me think of what you wrote when Josh Hamilton signed with the Angels about how everyone just has so much money that that we don't even really need to worry about the money anymore <laughs> that that teams just can afford to pay to overpay people as far as dollars per win goes if it makes them a little bit better in the short term or and so that always kind of I don't know how to analyze things because that's like one yeah, of the, well, the components of these moves is we analyze not just how much better it makes a team, but whether they got a good deal. And if they have yeah. so much money that it doesn't really matter whether they're spending efficiently or not, then uh, that sort of takes away a line of analysis. Yeah, well, I mean, but then on the other hand, we have Bronson Arroyo and the Reds couldn't offer him, you know, a, a very reasonable qualifying offer because they were, you know, so scared that they get stuck holding holding on to him. Um, I, if I'm if I remember it correctly, I think what I wrote in that Hamilton piece is that the uh, we don't know each team. I mean, the, the gap between teams is so huge that it's conceivable that a team like the Angels or the Tigers or whatever can spend $10 million for a win and not really mind because they don't have any money, uh, you know, anywhere to spend their money anyway. Mm-hmm. Whereas a team like the Reds, you know, can't spend $4 million on a win because they're they're constantly, you know, keeping such a small margin. So it's really hard to compare any of these trade, uh, any of these deals because all the alternatives are like dramatically different contexts. It's actually hard to pin down any sort of reasonable number uh, that that holds true across the league. Mm-hmm. All right. Is there anything else we need to cover? Uh, no profar for Stanton. <laughs> I was looking forward to talking about that this offseason. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, well, you can read uh, Sam's written thoughts about this trade if you'd like. They will be up today, Thursday, at Baseball maybe. Prospectus. Oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> if, he, he also... if he finishes. <laughs> Can I, uh, is, uh, do you think we're going to be having a, uh, the Rangers have, you know, Odor is their best prospect right now and also plays second base. Maybe they will trade Profar. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, fun one. Fun trade. Okay. So now we are joined by uh, Drew Samuelson, who is a the performance manager at Baseball South Australia. He's also an international scout for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, so I asked Drew to come on to tell us about a story that I really knew nothing about, uh, until this morning when someone, uh, Tom Fee tweeted at me that it was worth checking out a great baseball story that the Canberra Cavalry are about to become the Asia series champions, which they did shortly after that tweet. And there was almost nothing about that tweet that I understood, uh, (laughs) without looking up. Uh, the information in that. So uh, as it turns out, this is kind of a, a cool story. And uh, Drew's going to tell us a little bit about it. First, uh, I guess, tell us a little bit about you and, and about Baseball South Australia. Yeah, no problem. Uh, basically, I'm responsible for all the baseball operations in the entire state, um, both amateur and professional. Uh, we We have an ABL team. Uh, locally here in Adelaide, the Adelaide Bite, uh, they play in the same league against the Canberra Cavalry, and we also have uh, approximately 3,000 amateur athletes in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess we should also explain what the ABL is. 
while we're at it. We, yeah, we should. Uh, the ABL is the Australian Baseball League. Uh, it is um, a joint venture between Baseball Australia and Major League Baseball, um, and this is its fourth year in operation. Uh, it is uh, technically it's classed as a winter league by Major League Baseball, but it's a little bit different in that it's composed. Um, it's kind of a hybrid. So what that means is you've got affiliated minor league baseball players. You also have a handful of um, imported players from indie ball and from uh, Asian professional leagues. And then you also have local Australians making the roster. So you got a little bit of everything. And that's kind of what makes the Canberra Cavalry story so special is instead of a dedicated professional team, you know, worth X amount of millions in payroll, they have an extremely meager payroll and some of these guys, you know, are still working nine to five jobs in addition to being ball players uh, on the weekend. And some of them are affiliated minor leaguers. Some of them are indie ball guys. Some of them are guys that are Australian and used to play pro ball and are kind of in the twilight of their career and that sort of thing. So it's, it's really kind of this fun, interesting mishmash of ball players coming together for a common cause. Okay, so uh, we should probably tell people what the Asia series is because I don't know that people are aware. It, I mean, people, I think, know about the, the Caribbean series. Uh, probably mm-hmm. gets a little bit more attention in the States. Um, <laughs> but the Asia series is sort of sort of a, a similar tournament. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about that? And also, if you can answer all subsequent questions in a fake Australian accent to add oh. authenticity. That would be great. I will. I will. I'll work. I'll work on that. I'll work. Okay. I'll have to work up to the accent. Okay. Thing. Um, I'm starting to throw the verbiage in. I just don't know <laughs> if I can do the accent. Okay. So uh, the, the Asia series is basically the champions of uh, the Taiwanese, the Korean, the Japanese, and now the Australian league all get together at the conclusion of uh, the Northern Hemispheric seasons and play. Now the way this makes things a little bit different for Australia is we are constantly grappling with being in the Southern Hemisphere. So the Canberra Cavalry team that won the ABL uh, last uh, season, uh, that concluded in like February of 2013. So, so you know, fast forward nine or 10 months later, and they're playing against, you know, the Rocketan Eagles and, uh, you know, the, the Korean representative and the Taiwanese representative that just wrapped up their full-fledged pro season of, you know, 100-plus games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when when does the ABL season run from? When does it start? In it, it basically starts in um, early, early November. Uh, we're, I think, three weeks into it right now. Mm-hmm. And it'll wrap up in kind of mid-February. Okay. And then the guys all, yeah. And then all the affiliated guys, which make up um, kind of roughly 25 to maybe 33% of the league, mm-hmm. those all, all those affiliated guys then kind of just dovetail straight into camp. Okay. And so there are limits in how many uh, imports each team can have? There are, yes. Um, Four of the six teams uh, have a baseline. So Perth, Brisbane, Sydney, um, and Melbourne all have like a baseline players, which I believe is 10 this year, and it's up from eight. Mm -hmm. Um, We get a couple more here in Adelaide because we're a smaller population center. And then Canberra gets even more than us because they're a smaller population center still. So Canberra definitely has more uh, imported talent than the other teams are. They're permitted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, we get we get 12 and they get 14, I believe. Okay. And what's roughly the the quality of play in the the ABL? Is there an analogy you can draw to some <laughs> other level of 
<laughs> kind of. It's um, it, the ta- like in all honesty, the talent's all over the map. Mm-hmm. You have you have guys that are former big leaguers. Um, some of them are you know kind of past their prime, if I may be so bold. <laughs> um, and then you've and then you've got guys that have you know just signed pro deals down here that are 17 and 18. And then you've got guys that are kind of you know club baseball weekend warriors. Uh, and then most of the affiliated guys are most affiliated guys are from some level of a ball. Uh, and then a couple of them are from double a, but overall when it's all goes through the wash, I would say the quality of baseball is pretty close to, you know, a, or maybe advanced a, so it's somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, all right. So Canberra wins the ABL, uh, last February. So they are the reigning ABL champions. And so they Correct. get to represent the ABL in the Asia series, but the, the cavalry team of today is not the, it's not the same makeup as the team that actually won <laughs> no. the ABL back in February. No, it's not. No, it's not because you get, we get completely different uh, imported players every year. There's no consistency of the roster. So the team that won in February is, is very different to the one that just won now, which makes it so interesting at the end of the day, it's still a pretty good underdog slash Cinderella story because you're, you know, you're talking about this mishmash of amateur and pro guys going up against, you know, these teams that have, you know, multi-million dollar payrolls. Um, but the, yeah, the, the funny thing is that the Canberra team that is partying and drinking champagne up in Taiwan right now is is not not exactly the same roster as what it had before. And then add to that, um, interestingly enough they were granted access to um, a couple of, um, of really good players from both the Perth and the Sydney team mm-hmm. this year. So in addition to Canberra winning, they, they actually have players from a couple other teams as well. So mm-hmm. just to kind of help bolster their chances so, uh-huh. and it worked. So, you know, good on you, as they say. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. So then, so the, the first four Asia series and this, this began in 2005, it looks like. So the first four were won by Japan and then Taiwan and South Korea, and then Taiwan again, uh, or I guess no, I guess Taiwan, South Korea, and now now Canberra. So, what is it that that made Australia such underdogs in this series? Because they, before winning at all this year, they had not won a game in their previous appearances in the tournament. Correct. Um, that's that's mostly because uh, of just simply the roster construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, Perth Perth won the first two championships um, uh, here in the league, and then Canberra won last year, and then we're in the fourth season right now. The Perth team uh, was bringing at the time only eight affiliated uh, imports, and some like I said, some of those might even be indie ball guys, and then the other you know whatever that would be I don't know 15, 16, 17 guys we're all local Australians. And so a lot of those guys are amateurs. So at the end of the day, you're pulling some guy out of, you know, the guy who works at Bunnings from eight to five, which is our Home Depot, by the way. <laughs> okay. So I don't think so anyone some guy, <laughs> Yeah. So we'll just, yeah, I'm going to, I'll throw in Gumtree too. Gumtree is our Craigslist. So, uh, <laughs> but you know, you get, you, you get these guys that are, you know, they're, they're purely weekend warriors. They've got nine to fives and then they happen to win this league and then they get told, Hey, you get a, you know, free trip up to Asia to go <laughs> play against the NPB champion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at the end of the day, it's, it is a bit of a David versus Goliath kind of a thing. And that's what makes the Canberra story. So kind of special right now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Even if, even if the Canberra team did in fact have a few more imports, um, it's, it's still, it's still a pretty good story. And, you know, for, for a team of, you know, half pro, half amateur guys to, you know, to beat, 
these dedicated pro clubs. It's you know it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who are the the cavalry players that people might have heard of who are listening to this podcast? <laughs> I, um, I, I saw that none. <laughs> I don't think there are any. I um, saw. I mean, Mike Ekstrom is on the team. Uh, yeah, who has. Has been a, a big leaguer. Um, yeah, I mean, but he's not he's not normally a cavalry player. He's uh, he's on loan from Sydney, I believe. And uh-huh. then Mitch Mitch Denning is, I believe, also on loan uh, as well. And those are kind of the two kind of two biggest names and, on the team. And I think based on my reading, it, it seems like the the breakout star of this performance is Jack Murphy, maybe uh, who. <laughs> I love the conviction there. That's good. <laughs> so I'm trying to piece this together from, from many uh, news reports that I read. And Jack Murphy is a, a 25-year-old catcher in the Blue Jays system who was uh, – he spent most of this last season at AA, and he has, I think, a, a fantastic mustache, which I assume has something to do with the fact that Sal Fasano is, is the Blue Jays' catching coordinator these days. And I, I imagine that he's passing on the the, the gospel of the mustache. But uh, he had a couple big games during the Asia series. So it's not as if uh, these players are going to be catapulted to stardom by this. This is sort of, although I guess there are there are scouts who are scouting the Asia series, right? I mean, this is because there are you know NPB players and KBO players and players that major league teams would be interested in right this is you know like you darvish was a pitcher in this in this tournament a few years ago yeah and, T- and tanaka this year right, um, tanaka. as the eagles were there yeah i would you know it, it's it, no there's no such thing as bad exposure um you know especially when you're on this you know kind of you know dream team miracle on ice whatever the you know asia series version of that is um I, i'm sure it's a great yeah i'm sure it's going to be great exposure for them uh, you know, a pretty nice notch in the belt and something they can they can always talk about. And it's something that Canberra can certainly hang its hat on for for ages and ages. And, you know, hopefully it's a, it's a bit of a spark that, you know, generates a bit more interest in the ABL, both both locally and internationally. Yeah. So what is the level of our interest here? Are, are Australians burning cars and riding in the streets or has no one noticed or is it somewhere in between? <laughs> Well, I haven't I haven't come out of my bunker since they won the championship, so I can't really comment on the the state of riot right now. Um, no, I'm sure I'm sure the people in Canberra are are pretty fired up because they when when the cavalry won the championship last year, it was a pretty big deal to to that city. Um, the Perth Perth fans are fantastic; um, they come out in great numbers. Uh, there's also a pretty significant American expat culture out in Perth. Uh, we we've done pretty dang well here. Uh, the very first year of the league, we uh, we actually won the attendance crown here in Adelaide, which is impressive because we're the fifth or sixth largest city um, in Australia out of you know eight cities in Australia. So um, you know that w- that's pretty good. We you know it's it's very kind of a ball ish you know for for you and me like it's you know a couple thousand people per game, um, and all the entertainment stuff is pretty similar. You know the level of ball play is you know kind of a ballish, um, and it's it's a really good experience for families and um, it is it's a it's a pretty good league. It's a fledgling league. It's in a very very crowded um, sport landscape here. They just they love their sports here in Australia, and so it's kind of hard to carve out a niche. But um, but so far so good. 
Uh, and I, I guess, can you, you, you wrote a guest piece for Baseball Prospectus last year, sort of talking about the, the state of baseball in Australia and how base, Australian amateurs are going to the U.S. and going to college and playing college ball there. And I, I, can you sort of talk about, you know, the, the state of, of talent there or at least how, how efficiently the, the talent that is there is being found and you know as a as a scout yourself uh is it sort of an inefficiency are teams missing out on talent here or is it still sort of in a a fledgling state well it's it it ebbs and flows like every other international market um this used to and i guess i should i I should caveat this with um you know this is just my personal opinion not that of the the rays or baseball Mm -hmm. essay my but my personal take on it is it ebbs and flows here quite a bit i wouldn't I wouldn't say that this is particularly a market inefficiency in terms of uh, player procurement. This is, in my humble estimation, one of the most thoroughly scouted uh, markets internationally. Um, now, with the new CBA and the way that that's going to, you know, cap cap teams, who knows what happens? I think, you know, my personal thinking on it is more kids will end up opting for college rather than a lot less money than you know what they would have gotten three, four, or five years ago. Um, but at this at this stage, generally this country cranks out maybe 10 to 12 signings a year. Uh, we had two two years ago or a year and a half ago was the biggest signing crop they'd ever had, and it was 29 or 30 or 32 kids or somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely some talent here. The the youth development is being taken very seriously here. We're really starting to push the college thing a lot more. Mostly just because it's a, it's it's a much more achievable goal, um, and the reason we see it as much more achievable than pro ball is because the kids here just don't get enough reps. Like they, you know, all the baseball here is club based; it's not school based, so you don't get as many repetitions as your American or even your Japanese counterpart would get. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually added it up, and for ages 14 to 18, we we came to the numbers that an Australian kid is roughly about 2,400 plate appearances behind his American cousin. Mm-hmm. And uh, pitchers comes out to be something like around 1,100 innings pitched. Mm. And so that's a that's a lot of game experience that our guys just aren't getting. So what we're trying to do here is just increase repetitions and get our guys with, you know, an eye on going to JUCO because with JUCO, they don't have to be, um, you know, behind some older kid on a depth chart. They can play right away. The chance that they'll get a full ride versus a partial ride are much greater. And really, they can get caught up on all those repetitions and all that strength and conditioning and all that speed and agility. And, you know, it's kind of the fastest way for them to become better ball players. Mm-hmm. But um, as it stands right now, we, we more or less have to kind of export all of our player development past about age 18. Mm-hmm. And what is uh, the lifestyle like for, for a scout in Australia? Is it sort of a, a showcase environment or are you traveling all over the place to see players? Because it's well, rather it's, a, a it's, large country, from what I understand. It's mostly it's like the lifestyle of an Australian scout, as far as I can see, is mostly just steak and wine. I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> it's pretty much my routine. Uh-huh. No, we um, it's it's actually it, it's it's very well scheduled and very well condensed. We have um, the national championships in mid January, so I'll be going to that shortly. Um, and uh, that's for the U fourteen, U sixteen, and U eighteen age groups. And then about six months later, uh, the MLB Academy is held in Gold Coast every year. Uh, that's a program I've worked on the last uh, two years. 
Uh, and what that is is a six-week, um, you know, stay there, full-blown baseball academy, uh, complete with tutoring for high school guys uh, in the afternoon. And they play, they play or practice pretty much every day for six weeks. Um, and then there's an outfit called the School Boys, um, and they run another tournament in May. Um, which is just uh, each state submits kind of an all-star team. And so you've got, you know, six teams uh, duking it out for a, a really fancy trophy. And that's pretty much it in terms of the kind of teen amateur circuit. Um, you know, I've, I've got a few bird dogs around and they keep eyes on things for me and, and I do the same. And, you know, we all talk. It's not a huge baseball community down here. Um, but really the, the two and a half events you got, are the national youth championships in January and then the MLB Academy in July and August. And then, you know, if you want, you can go to the school boys in May as well. All right. Well, thank you for uh, explaining all of this to me. I now understand <laughs> what that cryptic tweet about the Canberra cavalry meant. Uh, I've been to, I've been to Canberra, but I must have missed the cavalry. I, I will make sure to see them on my next, on my next trip. You definitely should. It's a it's a sight to be seen. They have, they have a beautiful ballpark there too, uh, Narrabunda Ballpark. It's a good little place to play ball. And they have a mascot named Sarge, who looks like mm -hmm. uh, Yosemite Sam, sort of. And they have yeah, he, <laughs> he's like a, he's like a drill sergeant or something. Yeah. So and, uh, our um we have a shark and his name is Chomper. So <laughs> that's naturally. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. And they have a team song called "I Want to Be in the Cavalry" by a Canadian Dude. country band. <laughs> so <laughs> wait i'm a little jealous they have i don't think we have a team song so. oh, well, that's why they just won the asia series and you didn't uh, yeah I, <laughs> I, think, I think you might be right, right. I know, now i know what we're missing all right well no one can accuse us of neglecting important developments in the australian baseball league or in the asia series we are on it uh, you can follow Drew at Drew Samuelson if you need an Australian baseball fix or have any questions about scouting down there or how baseball works down there. I'm sure he will be happy to answer. And I will talk to you next when when I when I guess the the Canberra Cavalry movie comes out. We can talk so about. I'm, listen, I've already started on the uh, the screenplay, so I'll, I'll have, I should have a treatment ready in a day or two. All right. Okay. Thank you, Drew. No problem, Ben. All right. Uh, send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. When the imports come down here, they just don't, they don't get it. Like we've got, we got guys from the Dodgers, Mariners, and the Astros organization right now on our team. And, and they're like, wait, you don't play baseball all the time? No, dude, I go and like work at the post office and then come <laughs> to practice, you know? And they're like, I don't get it. And it's the same with like all of our umpires. Our umpires are guys that like, oh, he's an accountant or he's a whatever. And then they just show up an umpire. You're ne I, so this, you're negotiating? You're saying tomorrow could be <laughs> yeah. two minutes as part of the negotiation. So you want to do a 15 minute email show so that we can talk about the Australian winter. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> <laughs>